A reading from Matthew 6, verses 19 to 34. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermins do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you be worrying at a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. So let's bow our heads in prayer as we come before this word together. Loving Lord our God, we give you thanks for this uh, word of scripture that is before us today. We do pray, Lord our God, that you give us wisdom as we reflect upon it, that you give us insight. We do pray, Lord our God, that you would give us wisdom to obey as well as to understand. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In an article in the Guardian newspaper, a man called George Monobot, who is a social commentator and writer, wrote a piece entitled, Materialism, a System that Eats Us from the Inside Out. Materialism, a System that Eats Us from the Inside Out. Commenting on some pictures posted on Instagram by a group of people called Rich Kids on Instagram, he says this, these pictures, which as you'll see, are of young people flaunting their wealth with houses and goods and cars and swimming pools and things. These pictures are, of course, intended to incite envy. Instead, they reek of desperation. The young men and women seem lost in their designer clothes and goods. 
dwarfed and dehumanized by their possessions. It's as if ownership has gone into reverse. A girl's head barely emerges from a hall of Chanel, Dior and Hermes shopping bags that she's got piled on her vast bed. The picture, and this is it, is entitled Shoppy Shoppy, but a photograph whose purpose is to illustrate plenty instead seems to depict a void. She is alone with her bags and her image in the mirror, a scene that seems saturated with despair. He goes on to write this. An impressive body of psychological research seems to suggest that materialism, a trait that can affect both rich and poor, and which researchers define as a value system that is preoccupied with possessions and the social image that they project, that this is both socially destructive and self-destructive. It smashes the happiness and peace of mind of those who succumb to it. It's associated with anxiety, depression, and broken relationships. This is the dreadful mistake we are making, allowing ourselves to be deluded into believing that having more money and more stuff enhances our well-being, a, a belief possessed not only by the poor, deluded people in these pictures, but by almost every member of every government. Worldly ambition, material aspiration, perpetual growth, these are a formula for mass unhappiness. So why is materialism a formula for mass unhappiness? Well, put simply, there's always going to be something newer, something shinier, something bigger, something more impressive. And pursuing those things is always going to lead to disappointment. Because there's always something more. There's always something bigger. There's always something better. Whatever we have, someone will have more or newer or shinier or bigger or better. That's the whole concept of materialism. That is outdated. You need this instead. It's the basis of much of Western economic philosophy. Well, this morning we're beginning a new sermon series in which we're going to consider what it means to live life as a disciple of Jesus in the real world. With all of the pressures that the real world places upon us, just as it places upon everybody else. But with our anchor centered and rooted in God and his purposes. So what it means to live as a disciple in the real world. The world that we inhabit every single day, but rooted in God and his purposes. And to begin the series, we're going to look at probably the most challenging piece of scripture when it comes to Western material culture. This section of what is called the Sermon on the Mount, which covers Matthew 5 through 7, this section that Jesus is talking about this morning. The Sermon on the Mount is all about discipleship. It's all about what I call living left-handed in a right-handed world, what it looks like to live differently from the majority of people around us. It's about righteousness, it's about living differently in a world that's infested and saturated with sin and its consequences. It's about what it means to focus on Jesus. And right at the heart of this sermon, right in the middle of it, we find Jesus expressly addressing uh, 
This trait of materialism, this sense that more and more stuff will give us greater happiness. If only we had more, life would be better. We'd feel more content. We'd feel more self-satisfied. We'd feel more at peace. Right at the heart of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addresses this very thing in these words. Now, the first thing I want to note today is what Jesus isn't saying when he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that hard work is to be despised. In fact, the Bible says the very opposite. Throughout scripture, there is a strong sense that doing an honest day's work, working hard to provide for our family, to provide for our future, is a good thing. In fact, if you read Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 onwards, you'll find that what is condemned is laziness, assuming that everybody else will provide for our needs. And what is commended is the example of an ant who works hard and works collaboratively and stores up for him or herself and for the community of which they're a part. That is commended. Hard work is commended in the Bible. So Karen and I, we live in our own home, one that we've paid for. We have a pension plan. We have savings we've provided over the years for our family and we both are involved in uh, employment. That is a good thing. It is a biblical thing. When Jesus says these words, he is not saying that we shouldn't work hard to provide for ourselves, to provide for our security, or provide for our family. Please don't get that impression uh, from this particular scripture. But what Jesus is condemning and challenging us over is storing up for ourselves treasures on earth. In other words, making that the basis of our existence, that the accumulation of stuff is the center and the driving purpose of our lives. Jesus is challenging the foolish fantasy that having more, having newer, having bigger, having better is going to create contentment, happiness, and peace. Instead, he's going to go on to talk about what that is instead. Now, it's noteworthy that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus refers to the heart. Your heart will tell you where your treasure is. Where your treasure is, there is where your heart is set. Now, in the Bible, the heart means the focus of our desire, our concern. A bit like how we were talking about our minds today, what our ambition is, what our purpose is, what we're thinking about in the Bible, uh, that comes from the heart. It's the root of decisions and desires, whereas we've sort of separated the two in our culture. This is about desire and this is about decisions. It's much more combined um, in the Bible. And Jesus is saying, where is your focus? Where is your ambition? Is it centered upon things of the earth or is it centered on something different? Because if it's centered on things of the earth, you will experience perpetual dissatisfaction. In issuing this warning, Jesus notes that material goods rot and rust anyway. They don't last. Even the most lovely piece of wooden furniture that you have will one day fall apart. 
And most things will not last our lifetime. Most things that we own will not last our lifetimes. They rot, they rust, they wear out. So why base so much energy and ambition upon them, Jesus is saying? Because they don't last. They are inconsequential. They won't give you happiness in the long term or provide purpose or meaning. Job says this, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked to the ground in brackets, I will return. You can't take it with you, so why base your life upon it? Instead of storing up treasures for ourselves, what Jesus says is, store up treasure in heaven. Now, what he doesn't mean is it's like a bank account where you can do good stuff and that adds credit to an account, a tally that God has. So the more good stuff you do, the more you have in the bank of heaven and that will outweigh the bad stuff that you do. And as long as you're in credit when you die, therefore, you'll be okay. That's not what Jesus is saying. The gospel is all about grace, not about works. It's about what God has done for us and what we accept, not about what we do. But what most commentators think Jesus is meaning here is, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven by making your priority one of discipleship, one of knowing God, one of experiencing God, one of growing in God, and one of witnessing to God and enabling other people to come to know God for themselves. Because the more you know of God the more certain you will be of your hope in heaven. And you'll know where your purpose and focus and true identity really is placed. And the more you help other people to discover that, then they will know where their treasure is too. It's not about works, it's about discipleship. Seek first the kingdom of God, and then this other stuff will take its proper perspective. No burglar can steal a prayer that you pray. No rust can take away an act of kindness that you do to somebody else. No vermin can destroy the good news of the gospel that you share with other people. These are things that we can do now with eternal consequences, and make those your priority, says Jesus. Where's your heart set? Is it on the accumulation of stuff, which leads to a frenzy of disappointment, anxiety, despair, and broken relationships, and we just have to look around our world to see that? Or is it set on the peace and the purpose of God? Because then, everything else will take its proper place and its proper perspective. It's a straightforward contrast between the durability of treasures that are about stuff and treasures that are about God's purposes. Where is our heart set? Where is our focus? Where is our ambition? What and who are we really serving with our lives? I tell you, I looked through various pictures from that website, uh, Rich Kids on Instagram, and it was unbelievable the amount of simply doing stuff 
for the sake of others. Living lives to impress other people based upon the goods that you have. And it was desperate, utterly desperate, didn't impress. It made me deeply sad for these people caught up in that trap. Where is our heart? Where is our purpose? Now, in the reading that Nikki read for us, uh, the one that we would often translate as money, you cannot serve God in money. The Aramaic word that sits under the Greek actually means more than that. What it actually means is stuff. You can't serve God and stuff. If your focus is stuff, then you really can't serve God. And you can't hold them as equal partners, serving each equally, as if that's okay, because God demands total obedience. In Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 8, God says this, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I give to no other. Once we start to serve stuff, once stuff becomes the focus of our lives, then automatically our worship of God is uh, removed from the center of our focus. We can't do the two. And when that choice is actually understood for what it is, then it brings perspective. It helps us to understand what a glorious thing basing our lives upon God is because it brings all the things that human beings are looking for, contentment, peace, purpose, identity, sense of self, relationships that are uh, fruitful and have integrity. And what a miserable thing basing our lives on stuff actually is. It's not that hard work is wrong. It's not that providing for ourselves and for our family. It's not that any of those things are wrong. They are commended in Scripture. But it's when it moves from that to becoming the driver and purpose of life that more stuff, a bigger house will make me happier, a newer car will make me happier, better clothes will make me happier, a bigger TV will make me happier. None of those things are true, and we all know that. Stuff does not bring contentment. Now, it's not easy as a Christian to not be envious of stuff. The scripture is realistic. In the, uh, the Psalms, there's lots of comments about do not envy the contentment of the wicked or the wealth of the wicked or the prosperity of the wicked. And the Psalms wouldn't say that if people didn't have the inclination to do that. Uh, all of us look around and think, wouldn't it be nice if? So what it becomes about is a series of daily choices when those thoughts enter our mind to look at whether that is going to shift us away from our focus, which should be on God, or whether it isn't. Next time we come to buy a big ticket item, think to yourself, think to myself, is this actually becoming something that I'm going to worship? Is this going to be something that I'm going to buy so that other people can be impressed by it? Or is this something that sits within the orbit of my life lived as a disciple of Jesus? And then it becomes a series of very practical choices. We don't have to follow the herd, which leads to miserableness. We can be different as Christians and find contentment in Jesus. He loves us. 
He will provide for our needs through our hard work and through our endeavor and through building a society which is fair and just to those people who are disadvantaged so that they too can share in the prosperity of the nation. All of that is a fundamentally good thing. But if getting more stuff becomes the focus of our life, we will no longer live lives that are content or lives lived with a focus on God. What it's really all about is having a primary ambition and a series of secondary ambitions. And when they're ordered correctly, then life is lived in peace and in contentment rather than in despair and anxiety. A guy called John Stott, uh, who's a great uh, Christian writer and leader and a very wise man, writes this. When seeking after God is and his glory is genuinely our dominant ambition, then not only will all these things be yours as well, i.e. our material needs will be met because we'll know that a biblical principle is hard work and providing for the poor and the needy around us, so therefore all those things will be met for us and for others. But there'll be no harm in having secondary ambitions since these will be subservient to our primary ambition and not in competition with it. Indeed, it's then that our secondary ambitions become healthy. Christians should be eager to develop their gifts, to widen their opportunities, to extend their influence, to gain promotion at work. We should be praying for Christian men and women, my sisters and brothers, this is me, not John Stott, to become uh, directors of FTSE 100 companies, to be uh, people with uh, positions of significance in the media, to be people of significance in politics locally and nationally. We should be praying for our brothers and sisters to put themselves into those positions because, back to John Stott, not to boost their own egos or to extend their own empires, but rather that through everything they do, they bring glory to God. Lesser ambitions are safe and right, provided that they are not an end in themselves. Seek first the kingdom of God, not stuff. Everything takes its place. We understand what it means to have sufficient. We understand what it means to give. We understand what it means to share. We understand what it means to make our priorities, the upbuilding of our community, our immediate community and our broader community. We understand what it means to live lives of discipleship in the world and in the church. What we're not doing is all the time focused on stuff and getting more and more of it. Now, I want to finish with a prayer that for each of us, this would be true. It's a challenging scripture, but it does bring contentment if we understand this. Paul, in 2 Corinthians, writes about strongholds, things that take us captive, and talks about taking captive ourselves those things that would seek to take captives of us. What he actually says is this. We don't wage war according to uh, human standards, for the weapons of our warfare are not merely divine, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every proud obstacle raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. We take every thought captive to obey Jesus. Seeking first the kingdom of God is about a series of daily choices to keep focusing and refocusing and refocusing once more 
on the priority of the kingdom of God and the secondary nature of everything else. Because if we are anchored in the purposes of Jesus, everything else takes their place. In a culture where materialism is fundamental to our economic system, where it is so persuasive and pervasive in every aspect of our lives, so it's that often we don't even realize that it's seeping into us, we have to, in the name of Jesus, take captives those things that would take captive of us. Otherwise, as human beings, we are diminished, we are destroyed, we end up with despair, depression, anxiety, broken relationships, all the things that all the research, this isn't just from a biblical perspective, this is from a sociological perspective, all the things that destroy society and destroy human beings, we need to take those things captive. Jesus put it very simply, seek first the kingdom of God. Don't lay up for yourself stuff on earth. Rather live in such a way that your life has eternal consequences and the promise of eternal peace. Living as a disciple, living as a witness of Jesus, providing for those around you in such a way that they too can live seeking first the kingdom of God for themselves. Then everything else finds its proper place. Let's pray. Father God, Jesus talked about not running after the things that pagans run after. And we know that there's so much about materialism that would take us captive, that would destroy us, consume us, even as we think we're consuming it. Father, we do pray that we would not let those things that would take us captive, those strongholds that would destroy, take captives of us, but we would daily take captives of those things, putting them in a place where they do not get in the way of our obedience and discipleship and our following of Jesus and our making him known. Father, we pray that in the series of choices daily that we make, we would show where our hearts are truly set, that we would therefore transform our world through faith and faithfulness, that we too, one day, might enjoy the eternal gift that rust can never rot, that vermin can never consume, that is set aside for us in Jesus. Amen. Your phone is not